John chapter 5, verse number 1. If you'll put it on the screen, there you go, you've got it coming. John chapter 5, verse number 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Can I pause with you here? Uh, Therefore, only one person at the stirring, and it will be the first person. And one never knew how frequent the angel would show up. Once a quarter, once a month, once a week, once a year. We assess that by reading further. Verse 5. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition for a time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Oh, here we go. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And some months later, you ain't got that version, do you? If you do, throw it away. You all got that on sale. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Put the next slide for me, if you will. I want to talk to you about a man, a mat, and a matter of choice. Point your hands in my direction. Ask God to give me a special unction to give the word to you. And I'll pray for you. Oh, in Jesus' name, I already feel the anointing. All I want to do, God, is not abuse it and not exploit it and not think it's about me. So let there be less of this preacher and more of Jesus. I do not want to be an entertainer. I do not want to be boring. And I do not want to fight in this pulpit Satan. I don't have to because you have already fought him and defeated him. Nobody has to fight to listen today. Nobody has to be uncomfortable or uneasy or distracted. Because I pray that you bring our minds and our bodies into subjection of your healing word. I pray, O oh God, that as we were last Sunday, we'll be today. We will not leave as we came because of the name of Jesus and the power of Jesus. And if you would agree to that, would you say amen? amen. And it is that you may be seated. Thank you for keeping your scriptures open as we look at this word. There is a counseling technique called solution-focused Therapy, solution-focused therapy. One of the main questions that the counselor would ask in this technique is this. What are 
you going to do? Meaning that after the patient or the client describes to the therapist what they are struggling with, battling with, or whatever issue they bring to the session, the counselor would respond in the solution-focused therapy with this question, what are you going to do? And almost always the first reply is something like this. I need someone else to do something for me. I, I, I need my wife or my husband or my coach or my teacher or the government or my boss or the church or God. The implication by the answer is that Solutions to my problems are the responsibility of anyone but me. And I think that's a typical human response. I think so because it's far easier to look for a rescuer than to take responsibility. And some of you are thinking, this ain't going to be like last Sunday, is it? No, it's going to be better. Because it just keeps getting better. Far easier in my situation I'm in to see somebody coming in as my Messiah than for me to take responsibility at times. I like solution-focused therapy because it reminds people of their role as participants in their lives and not so much as an innocent bystander as life goes on when we experience hurt and rejection and disappointment but, but unable to do anything about it. I like this kind of counseling because it focuses attention on individual responsibility. And I need to do that in my life. Now, this isn't really a new counseling technique, brothers and sisters. In fact, it's one that Jesus used quite often in his, in his conversation with people. And here in our text, we're looking at one of those conversations that Jesus had with a person. And as we look at this conversation, I'd like for us to consider the possibility that Jesus may be speaking the same message to us as he did this man that was paralyzed or lame. And we begin by looking at this conversation. I, I think with the lack of a better way to describe it, this conversation begins with a crazy question. The Bible's open. It's on the screen, chapter 5, verse 6. Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had, he had been already in that condition for a long time. And he said to this man, Do you want to be made well? Now, you need to go back for a moment, if you will, to the pool of Bethsda. Here the Bible describes the place where sick people congregate because they believe that they can get healed by getting into the water whenever it's stirred. Jesus approaches a man, obviously crippled. This man has all the paraphernalia, all the trappings of his symptoms and sickness. For example, he has a mat to lie on. The Bible calls it a bed. 
He perhaps also has a tin cup or a plate where he can uh, reach out in front of people who might walk by him who are well and who might have sympathy on a beggar and give him a few coins. He has a bed. He has a collection cup. And, and we may even presume that he may have a pair of crutches if he was able to use them so that he might be able to get up if he could. You know what I like about this discourse about Jesus? I like many things. But the Bible says here in, in, in verse number 3, at this pool with five porches, Bethsda or Bethsaida, verse 3, it lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed. What I like about Jesus and I continue to admire about his servant-like shepherding ministry by this time, Jesus had a lot of notoriety among the people. He had healed many sick. He had done many mighty miracles. He was a man of powerful influence. And had he wanted to, he could have been a guest at a certain mansions or palaces or, or places of power and authority, speaking to people who is in the know and who is who in Jerusalem. He could have been at the place of the social circle of higher stratus. But Jesus Christ, because of who he is, he comes in a place that is smelly and that is dirty and full of disease and full of possible contagious disease, maybe the smell. The Bible says there was multitudes of people here waiting for the miracle. If you're desperate enough for an answer, you'll go wherever it takes to get an answer. You don't care how many people are there. If it's your turn, you hope it will be your turn. And you can, might imagine when Jesus goes in this porch-like area that overlooks a pool-like area, that there are people there who are groaning and they are moaning and they're crying. And sickness can often be kind of smelly. And maybe some people have gone there before and they get this nauseous reflux. They want to regurgitate. But Jesus is so compassionate and so loving that wherever you are and whatever crowd you're in, if you're hurting and you need help and nobody else sees you, if you'll touch and trust Jesus, He will come to where you are because He is no respecter of persons. Give the Lord a praise with your hands, would you? Jesus was speaking to this man, and he had learned that he had been there for 38 years. Add to this fact that he, this man was hanging out at a pool that was known for healing, and we begin to get some sense of how crazy it must have sounded for Jesus to ask the question, Do you want to get well? What kind of question is that? Does a crippled man want to get well? It's kind of like growing up when we needed some discipline from our parents. Or now that we are parents and we need to give some disciplines, discipline to our kids, we ask questions like, do you want a spanking? <laughs> well, what kind of question is that? As if it's even open for negotiation. Well, Dad, I have to think about that. Come back to me in 2020. <laughs> the answer is obvious. No, I don't want to spank him. And yes, I want to get well, we think. But, but maybe the question isn't as shallow as it seems at first glance. I'm going somewhere with this. Let's consider for a moment. Here is a man who had been crippled for 38 years. All the 
of that time, he relied upon the kindness of other people to make his way in life. Listen now. If he were to get well, he would have to earn his own way for the first time in 38 years. If he were to get well, he might have had to earn his way for the first time ever. He would no longer have an excuse for what his life was. The responsibility would be his. So maybe this question, do you want to get well, wasn't such a crazy question after all. Think with me. Maybe it was a question that pierced at the very center of the man's heart and exposed the motives that lay deep within him. And... What about us? Hundreds of years later. As Jesus looks at us crippled by our problems. Crippled by our circumstances. Crippled by our sin. What does he say to us? Could it be that he asked us the same question on February 6, 2011. That he asked the lame man hundreds of years ago. Do you want to get well? Jesus' question, do you want to get well, means at least a couple of things. Number one, it meant admitting. Admitting your hurts, your hang-ups, and your habits. Admitting that you have a need and you can't help yourself anymore. Many of you are involved in caring for people and some of you are involved in counseling and recovery and etc., And you know, the number one criteria of discerning whether the person who's coming to you for help really wants help is their transparency about their illness, their hurts, their hang-ups, or their addiction. Who, me? I I ain't got no issues. Man, what are you talking about? You got no issues. It's flowing all over you and spilling over on us. For 38 years, me, no, I'm not sick. I just like to come here where sick people are and lay on this cot. (laughs) Oh, help me, Jesus. Be nice, Pastor. Admitting. Admitting that for 38 years, for 8 years, for 8 months, I've been trying to dig a hole. And it's getting deeper and deeper. I'm trying to dig my way out of the hole. And that ain't how I get out of this hole. Then, then there is this thing about choosing. Jesus' question means choosing. Choosing healing over hurt. Jesus' question means choosing to get better, to be better, and to do better. When Jesus asked, do you want to get well, it was not a rhetorical question, nor was Jesus being flippant. William Barclay, a biblical commentator of yesteryear, William Barclay observes this about this particular passage. He says, 
being an invalid is not always unpleasant. He says, invalidism. I practiced that to get it right. Invalidism isn't always unpleasant. He says so because someone else does all the working and the worrying. Another Bible scholar points this out, please. And those who are taking notes, you might want to know this. An eastern beggar, meaning in the eastern part of the world, that part of culture and time, an eastern beggar often loses a good living by being cured. So you see, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, some of those people by the pool of Bethsaida may not have chosen healing over hurt. If healing meant losing their income from begging... Or leaving their fellow, oh, I feel it coming on. <laughs> leaving their fellow pool of beggars. Or no le- longer being able to lean on somebody else. And likewise today, some of us actually choose to hold on to our hurts and our hang-ups and our habits. Some of us Rather like our pool side, <laughs> our pool side dwelling. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to help us today. And just don't leave yet. And you can't because it's locked up all over this place. <laughs> Why do we hold on to hurts, hang-ups, habits, attitudes, behaviors? Uh, I don't know all the answers, but the Holy Spirit showed me a few. Uh, We hang on to some stuff because we'd rather complain. You met people like that? We let go of our hang-ups, hurts, and pain, and uh, we won't have any more negative stories to tell. We won't be the center of attention at the family gathering at Thanksgiving and Christmas when everybody huddles around us and... We think they really care. No, they're just going to get that over with because you do it every year. They just want. <laughs> I just feel like. Yeah. They, they don't care no more. They haven't heard that so many times. They just want to. Yeah. They can finish the story for you. Okay. We, we'd rather complain. You know? You know, if somebody could see this glass right here. You know that glass is one-third empty. <laughs> You know what? That glass is two-thirds filled. You know about that. You, here's another reason why we hang on to our hurts and hang-ups. We are not done seething in anger over those who hurt us. No, no. We've got to have some more mileage from that previous conversation, confrontation. I've I got some more spilling over. Bless God. I, I ain't about to get calm about this yet. Uh, we, we hold on to our hang-ups and our hurts because we know it's going to take work to get better. I mean, it may be literal. You may have to get a job. You mean I can't sit by the pool and sip some drink and have some people come by and drop something in my cup? No, you may just have to go and... And, and I'm talking... I'm being, you know, I was born at night, but I got some common sense. It wasn't last night I was born. I've been figuring this out. 
I got some people in this house who that's scary that they would have to get a job. But let me move right on. We hold on to our hang-ups and our hurts and our habits. Here's another thought. Because we like the sympathy we get. And I noted that just a moment ago, but let me, let me say something else to you. Num, num, number, number five of these, why we hold on to our hurts, hang-ups, and habits, is because we like playing the martyr. Oh, no one has it as bad as me. I came through World War I, World War II. I came through the Korean conflict. And I ain't minimizing those who went to war. I, I came through a marriage of 40 years. and uh, Just a little humor, very little I can tell. You had surgery. They cut you three inches. They sawed me in half. <laughs> we like playing the martyr. And you know what else? Here's, here's, a, here's a final of, of what, and there are many other reasons, why people uh, hold on to their hurts, hang-ups, addiction, bondage, etc. is because some people just choose to remain stuck. Remain stuck. It, it, Pastor, you're a nice little guy, and I like to hear you tell your jokes and all, but this has always been in my family, Pastor. Ain't nobody in my family ever overcome this addiction, this lifestyle, this whatever. We've always been drunks in my family, always been adulterers and fornicators. Matter of fact, Pastor's always been cancer and heart disease in my family. And we just going to own it, Pastor. That's owning to stay Stuck. No, no. I, I know how to get you all stirred up and all. I'm just doing a little teaching right now. And I think I might be getting you stirred up in the way I don't mean to. But that's all right. Because you know that I am the agitator in your washing machine. You got you some washing machine. All you do is drop the clothes there and nothing moves. You're going to have some nasty clothes after it washes. I'm the agitator. And I say that to say to you that all too often we hold on tightly to the things that paralyze us spiritually. Jesus can heal us of all the things that cripple us. But when he does, we are left without excuse for our lives and the choices we make. We are no longer able to cry out, my life isn't my fault, others are to blame. So the question isn't crazy at all because it echoes down through the ages to where we are today. Do you want to get better? To the crippled person with past hurts, Jesus asked, do you want to get healed? To the one chained with a secret sin, Jesus, Jesus asked, do you want to be loosed? To somebody battling an addiction, Jesus asked, do you really want to overcome? To those who have not yet asked Jesus into their heart to be their Lord and Savior, Jesus asked, Do you want to get saved? To those who need a physical healing in their body or healing from some other kinds of issues, Jesus asked the question, Do you want to get well and to receive the healing He has for us? And those of you are taking notes, I didn't put it on the screen, but get this, we must desire to be changed. That's simple, but it needs to be said. We need a want to in our will. Did you hear me? We, you ain't getting nowhere if you don't desire 
and want to get well. Okay, which leads me to the second of three points. And that is, when Jesus asked this question, the conversation continues to evolve. And here's something else. The man gives them a lame excuse. No pun intended, but it's kind of good, isn't it? Look at verse 7. The sick man answered. He said, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another person steps down before me. Brothers and sisters, the man did not answer Jesus' question at all. What he did was offer an excuse for why he hadn't been healed yet. I'm all alone and nobody's here to help me. Now, I've been to college. I got more than one degree. But sometimes I use poor grammar just to get your attention. And sometimes I do because I don't know I am. So this is going to get gooder. <laughs> I know that ain't right grammar. Now, now here's the man's response to Jesus. It, it, it has three components to it. Three components. Number one, I'm friendless. <laughs> you know why you're preaching? You've got to kind of brush off stuff. If you've been a speaking to people in public, you've got your notes, but then you've got the stuff coming. You've got to discern what's of God and what's not. You've got to discern what you can use to, just because you feel mean. I ain't feeling mean. I'm just <laughs> I'm friendless. I, I have nobody to help me. Isn't that what he said? Here, here's a second response. I'm flailing. It's not misspelled. Flailing means while I'm trying to get in the pool, I, I don't know when the angel would come to the pool. I don't think the angel would come at the same time calendar-wise, nor same time 24-hour-wise. Who knows that the angel may come at 3 o'clock in the morning. And all these invalids, lame, sick, whatever, they're so, they suffered so much, their body's worn out, they're all asleep. But at 2.59 a.m., this lame man, lying on his cot, sees the angel, stirs the water. Ain't nobody else moving. Now's my time. Marvin, is that you? Man, I'm glad to see you. You never know what will happen in church. He used to be my neighbor. And when I moved in, he said the neighborhood got bad and he moved away. <laughs> Move all the way to Mississippi, can you imagine? Glad you are. Nobody's moving. Here's my chance. It's 2.59, almost 3 o'clock. I'm going to... Oh, I feel terrible. I'm going to scoop my body. If I, I can't jump in the pool, if I can roll to the edge, just fall in. But by the time he about rolls, he hears a splash on the other side. And he says to Jesus, yeah, I want to get well, but... I've been flailing and struggling and rolling for 38 years. It's not done me any good, Jesus. I'm friendless, I'm flailing, and <laughs> if I ain't got your number yet, we got it now. 
I got my number. I'm frustrated. Somebody else always gets ahead of me. Hey, this is just a. Does that ring a bell? About does that sound like us when we're going through hurts, habits, and hangups? Friendless, flailing, frustrated, and uh, if you will allow me, nobody knows <laughs> the troubles I see. Nobody knows my sorrows. Please play for me a sad melody. So sad that it makes some of you are singing along, but you don't want me to know it because you done sung it so many times. Play for me one of those somebody went and done somebody wrong songs. You know, the worst music in America is country music. <laughs> country music, I got to tell you, is the worst music. And, and when I think about my calling, I think if this preaching stuff don't work after 26 years, I'm going to go into country music. <laughs> Matter of fact, next American Idol, you ought to look for me. I already got to find. No, but I got to. Have you seen some of them goons who tried out? What you laughing at me? You know, I got some favorites. One of them's, here's a quarter. Call someone who cares. You know what's silly about that song? It takes 50 cents to call now. And you know what else is silly? What else is silly is if you need help, push four, push five, push six. You ever call suicide and the line was busy? Okay, Alan, quit that nonsense. There's a sermon in all these jokes. Let's keep moving. Jesus said, do you want to get well? Here comes this man. He ain't answered Jesus' question yet. Excuses. He's simply saying, there's no help for me. I can't help myself, and it appears that God ain't helping me either. Max Lucardo is one of the most prolific Christian writers I've ever read after. In his book, and I need to hurry here, in his book called The Applause of Heaven, he tells about Robert Reed. If there was ever a person who could have offered Jesus an excuse for why he couldn't do anything for Jesus, Robert Reed would have been that person. You see, Robert Reed... His condition is such that his hands are twisted and his feet are useless. He can't bathe himself. He can't feed himself. He can't shave himself. He can't brush his teeth. He can't comb his hair. He cannot put on his own underclothes. His shirts are held together by strips of Velcro. Robert Reed, his speech drags like a worn-out audio cassette. You see, Robert Reed has cerebral palsy. Cerebral palsy. And the disease keeps him from driving a car, riding a bike, or even taking a walk. But it didn't keep him from graduating from high school. And it didn't keep him from attending Abilene Christian University, from which he graduated with a degree in Latin. Having cerebral palsy didn't keep him from teaching at one of St. Louis's junior colleges, or even venturing overseas five different times on five separate missions trips. And Robert's disease didn't keep him from becoming a missionary to the country of Portugal. 
He moved to Lisbon, Portugal in 1972. When he got there, he rented a hotel room and started studying the Portuguese language. He found a restaurant owner who would feed him after rush hour, and he found a tutor who would instruct him in the language. Then he stationed himself every day in a particular park where he distributed, he handed out literature and brochures about the Lord Jesus Christ. Within six years, Robert Reed had led 70 people to the Lord Jesus Christ. 70. You think in six years and 70? Don't misjudge him yet until we measure how many people we've led to Christ. And, and, and I say that to you that Robert Reed didn't see fit to offer God an excuse. And what about us today? Do you want to get well? The question is, do, uh, uh, oh, help me, Jesus. And then what is our response? Let, let me hasten. When Jesus asks, do you want to be healed from your past hurts? Do you reply, well, you don't know how bad they hurt me. When Jesus asks, do you want to be loose from the chains of your secret sin? Do we counter it by saying, I just can't control myself. When Jesus asks, do you want to overcome, is the answer, well, I have an addiction, it's a disease, it's not my fault. When Jesus asks, do you want to be saved, will will you excuse yourself by saying, well, I'm not nearly as bad as many other people I know. You all helping me here? When, When Jesus says, do you want to get well, is the reply, I don't have anybody to put me in the water. I'm saying this to you. To receive the healing, the deliverance, and the power we need from Christ today. You've got to do two other things. You've got to put away your excuses. I've got to put away my excuses. Read about, oh my, read about any man or woman of God that was mightily used in the Bible. And you find that they had their hurts, their habits, and their hang-ups. Can I get a witness here, somebody? Moses said to God, when God told him, now I want you to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. He says, God, I got a speech impediment. I can't even talk right. And who am I? I'm an ex-convict, left, left Egypt 40 years ago. I'm a wanted man. How in the world? And Gideon, when Gideon was called of God to rescue the Israelites, he says, God, wait just a minute. You got the wrong man. Because I'm from a very small tribe and I'm not really known. Saul, you find that God, what I'm looking for is God's not looking for people who have it all together all the time. God's looking for a few people who says, you know what, I got hurts, I got habits, I got hang-ups, but I'm going to keep pressing, I'm going to keep moving, I'm going to keep trusting, I am going to pick up my bed. I'm going to leave my poolside place of suffering and I am going to give up my excuses and leave my comfort zone and go in the name of Jesus. Everybody give the Lord some praise. Cut this, cut this for just a moment. Now, here's the last of the thoughts. After a lame excuse preceded by a crazy question, you think Jesus had done all kinds of Enough what he could do and make this man uncomfortable and he makes an impossible instruction. He says to the man, rise, take up your bed and walk. I I, I think I want to call it the gospel according to Nike. You know, the Nike shoes. Just do it. (laughs) 
this is good food I'm giving you here. And some of you just thinking, you know what? Look at your neighbor and say, just do it. Some of you didn't do it. Do it again. Just do it. Yeah. The man complained. I ain't got nobody. But Jesus, in Jesus, we really do have somebody. Can I get an amen? In Jesus, you don't have somebody going to put you on your mat and drag you to the porch by 5 a.m. every day and come back and pick you up by dark every day, whether it's rain or shine or whatever. He don't drag you to someplace waiting where somebody else can help you. In Jesus, you have somebody right now. You see, here's part of the reason we don't get help, and I'll probably preach this next week or I probably won't. Oh, I feel a hallelujah is coming on. You ever seen an anointed Indian man? Have you ever? Well, open your eyes. You've got to write this down or remember it somewhere in the computer of your head. When you and I are willing to give up our plan of how we're going to get better and get on board with His plan, we're on our way to getting better. Naaman the leper in 2 Kings 5, leper, leper, leper. The man was stinking with leprosy, oozing with leprosy. He was a mighty general in the army of Syria. Man of power, clout, position. People walk by him. Pardon me. He walked by people and they bow or they salute. He had won many mighty miracles for his king as a commander of his army but he wore his uniform, wore his hat covered up, wore gloves and everything else so he pretty much covered up all his leprosy except for right here in his face and he asked his king for permission to go to Israel he had heard that there was a healer in Israel who could heal people of leprosy, meaning the prophet Elisha and the king says here's a letter, go see the king of Israel get his permission to go talk to the prophet he does, he goes to the prophet's house Elisha Elisha is in his cabin he sends his Servant. And Elisha tells his servant, go tell the, the, the Naaman to go dip in the Jordan River seven times and he'll be healed. Well, Naaman gets mad as a hornet because he's thinking, wait just a minute. I came from Syria. I'm the general. I'm the commander. There's a hometown country preacher in there. He ain't even coming out to talk to me personally. He's going to send his servant to him. That makes him mad because his plan was to get pomp and circumstance and a feeling of importance. Then he says, oh, hold on just a minute. The dirty water of the river Jordan, nasty water, because water and leprosy didn't mix too very well, especially dirty, muddy water. He, 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 said, he said, he wants me to go dip seven times. Why not one? And by the way, there are cleaner waters where I came from in Damascus. And he named a couple of rivers in Damascus. They're cleaner, they're more crystal, and they look better. Why can't I go home and dip in that one? Man, he got mad. He, he loaded up a lot of stuff to bring to give to the man of God, whoever would heal him. He bought about 125 pounds of silver and 50 pounds of gold. How many of you know there's some preachers who'd be glad he'd come by? Ooh. He said, that preacher ain't getting no clothes that I brought to give him, no gold, no silver. I'm going home. And a few of his servants said, now, if he asked you to do something that you like doing, that's easy for you to do, would you not have done it? What did he ask you? Well, it, it can't hurt to try. And, and so Naaman, he goes down to the pool. And he, he got a smirk on his face. You're thinking, 
you got to get rid of the smirk and all that kind of stuff. Okay? And, and he dips. If he had dipped six times and said, ain't nothing happening here, nothing happened here. You all didn't hear me. I did six times. I ain't going to say, but, but when you give up your plan, everybody say my plan. When I give up my plan and I get on with God's plan, it may, it's foolish, it seems like, for Jesus to say, take up your bed. Don't you see, Jesus, I'm lying on this mat and I'm gnarled. I said, take up your bed and walk. Next slide. Naaman, by the way, was healed of his leprosy. And this man was made whole. Now, I'm closing. And if you know anything about Pentecostal preachers, they close for a long, long time. (laughs) It's a matter of choice. Listen to me. You've got to get this. I talked about a man, a mat, and a matter of choice. Listen to this. I'm not talking just about self-help gospel, okay? Healing is wrought 100% by Jesus and by His power and by His grace. But you've got to remember this. There is a factor of human responsibility in our healing and our recovery. Help me. Everybody here, here, listen to me. There is a factor of human responsibility in every area of our lives. When we do all we can, then... You see, here's, here's what I learned about Jesus. He healed a man at the pool... But now the man had to get up and walk. Can I get a a witness here? Think about this, if you will. Who saves us from our sins, everybody? But who must believe and repent in order to get saved? We must. Here's another one. Who sanctifies us and gives us the power to live above sin? But who must decide every day to follow Him and do what is right? Choice. Choice. Now, the Bible said this man was sick for 38 years. Hey, I want you to sing that song. We're moving ahead, moving forward. Is that what you got? Man, I'm telling you. I'm going to start combing my hair just like yours. I, I, I got to thank him for last week, too, by the way. That man stayed with me and this people. Now, listen to this. 38 years. I don't know how long you've been in your stuff. He was 38 years. Now, you know what you got to do? You got to. In a moment, get up and walk. I, I, I need to tell you, it's time for you to pick up your mat and walk. It's time for you to pick up your mat, get in your car, and drive to some place where you can get some help. Y'all didn't hear me. It's time for you to pick up your mat and go to some place where there's a counselor or a therapist or some kind of care group or recovery group and sign in and say, you know what? I, I am not going to stay stuck. There's help here. I'm going to swallow my pride. I have pardoned the raw grammar. I pardon it. I don't mean to be, well, I have messed up my life. I really want to say I have screwed up my life, but I think you know what it means. And it's time for you to pick up your mat, and it's time for you to go get some counseling, or go to a therapist, or go to a recovery group, or check in a program, or get somebody to help you. It's time for you to pick up your mat and go help somebody else. Can I get a witness here, somebody? It's time for you to pick up your mat and quit letting somebody else carry you and pay your way and lean on them. 